Thank you for listening to Ivy Podcast, where we feature weekly leadership conversations with thought leaders and industry experts. Now, here is your host, Courtney Dominguez. Vicki Oseja, welcome to the Ivy Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being here today. I appreciate it. Can you please tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your background? Yes, you know, I'm very grateful to have been grown up in IT over the last 25 years, and I've got an opportunity to do some pretty amazing things, uh, initially with Accenture, then with the Royal Caribbean Group, and most recently with Seminole Hard Rock. And currently I'm doing some independent consulting on IT strategy and transformation, as well as PMO and governance. So I, I know that, you know, we've talked in the past and um, I've had the opportunity to build uh, a couple of PMOs in, in, in my past and uh, very proud of that. For Royal Caribbean, I created their PMO and then ran it on and off for 12 years, increasing in a, including an aggressive growth period where we doubled project execution year over year for several years in a row. So when we started, we were managing, you know, a couple million dollars worth of investment. And at its peak, we were managing over $600 million in projects. So it was wonderful to see that from inception through maturity, that was a wonderful experience. Um, and then more recently, I established a PMO for Seminole Hard Rock. Um, different from the one at uh, Royal, this one was much more about governance and control, uh, instituting a forum to review and approve IT investments, as well as a process to manage uh, and track initiatives. So this is still a pretty young PMO, but I'm very excited about uh, what we've been able to accomplish so far. And you know, I, I've, I've had an opportunity to do a lot of um, strategy and transformation work uh, with Royal Caribbean, with uh, Seminole Hard Rock, where in Royal, we developed their customer strategy 20 years ago, and that evolved into their CRM strategy and their digital strategy. And on Seminole Hard Rock, I had an opportunity to kind of start from scratch and partner with marketing uh, and define the foundation for the digital transformation they're currently undergoing. So, you know, again, a, a lot of opportunities to do amazing things in the global arena, on the development side, portfolio side, but definitely the, the PMO side and the strategy are the things that are um, kind of close to my heart. Yeah, that's great. And I know you and I have similar uh, starting points where um, you were with Accenture and I was with Arthur Anderson. So, um, you know, we, we learned early, I guess, how to, how to work hard and, and got to see a lot of different companies and, and a lot of um, the ways, different ways of doing things. So um, it's a great way to start, you know, start your career and really get to see a lot of companies and, and learn very quickly. Yeah, I actually, uh, I always tell people that's the best schooling I ever got as far as um, growing as a professional and learning how to learn, right? Absolutely. Um, in, in, in a professional environment was, uh, again, I, I, I highly recommend uh, a stint in the big six consulting for everyone that wants to grow within IT. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I never took anybody out of going to work for a consulting company, especially early in their career, because it's such yeah. a great way to learn and and really learn very quickly a lot a lot of things that you can carry out through your career and, and onward. Yeah. So Vicki, let's talk a little bit about PMO. So how do you recommend organizations begin building a strategic PMO roadmap? So strategic PMO is much more than about managing projects, right? It starts with governance. 
making sure you're working on the right things for the right reasons and allocating resources to the initiatives that will add the most value to the organization and to ensure that you're in alignment with the company's strategic goals. Um, if you don't have clearly articulated strategic goals, you're really uh, not, you're gonna get into a cycle where you're doing a lot of work, but you're maybe not accomplishing as much as you would like. Um, because your value is kind of diluted by not being aligned with the company goals. Mm -hmm. And then I do think that it's important to create a process to assess these opportunities. Um, are they aligned with strategy? Are you doing them for compliance uh, or cost savings or revenue generation? Um, what is the relative size and risk? Is it new technology versus enhancements? What is the customer impact, operational impact? Are the, you have resources available? Do you need external resources? Um, what is it dependent on? Again, a lot of different factors, but the, the key here is creating a model where you can assess a score for each of these factors, and then you can compare opportunities based on the overall score. Um, that way you're making the process more objective and you're taking the emotion and the politics out of the equation. Yeah, and it really so you, helps set the priorities for the, for the things that the organization is working on. Correct, and it also keeps you accountable to the, to the things as a leadership team, it keeps you accountable to the things that you say are important to you. Yeah. Um, so, because it's very easy sometimes to get swayed by the crisis of the moment or the fat of the moment, but you know, if, if, if you have your um, kind of your goals defined and you're holding yourselves accountable to those, you're gonna do better work, um, I believe. And it also takes out the element of whoever's shouting the loudest, right? So whoever shouts the loudest gets their priority, you know, worked on faster and it, it takes that out as well. Yes, definitely removing the emotion out of it is the best piece. Um, but I think the next, there's a couple of steps, right? After you define what you're going to work on, it's also important to focus on the how. And regardless of the methodology that you use or um, how your company does work, right? Whether, whether you do custom development or you do your work in-house or outsource, whether you buy packages or whatever methodology, regardless of how your company does work, your process for delivering work has to be defined and repeatable. Uh, you need to have clear roles and responsibilities and accountabilities. Um, and I think in this, your, your process needs to be uh, not... Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say not casual, it needs to be documented, communicated and institutionalized. Whether your PMO is centralized or decentralized, this process needs to be supported by management and cannot be seen as optional. Um, and it should be ingrained in the organization's DNA. So at the end of the day, uh, if people need to see it as an enabler, a way to work smarter, to do less work, and they need to understand how the process benefits them. Uh, in that way, you know, you take the uncertainty out of delivering work and like in a factory, right? If you have a repeatable process, the quality of your output is going to be consistent. And that's kind of what you're striving for. Yeah. And I think a lot of times people see a PMO as kind of a something that's standing in the way, but it's really an enabler for the organization. And it's a way to make sure that projects are delivered consistently. And like you said, with the right governance around it and making sure that everybody's doing things the same way. Yeah, and, I, and I, the, the important part of that as well is to make sure that you institute the right metrics. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I've learned in my career over and over again is that you really can't manage what you, what you can't measure. Yeah. So if you've, um, you know, and people say, well, it's all this additional work to produce these metrics. If you do your process correctly, your metrics should be a natural byproduct of your process. 
Uh, and even if you need to do potentially some additional work to capture these metrics, the information you gather is well worth it. Because if you don't really understand your burden rate or your productivity, your velocity, your quality, how, how do you know that you're meeting your mark or that you're being efficient or effective? And how do you know when you need to course correct, right? So I think that having uh, a process in place to measure and use those metrics to manage, as well as having a process to measure the results, not just whether your project was delivered on time and on budget, but whether the project delivered on its intended goal. I think that is a way to uh, visually represent the value that you're providing by, by having the PMO and by doing the work. Yeah, absolutely. I think the measurement of it is critical. Um, it's really the only way that you can, you know, make sure that what you're you're telling the organization that you're going to deliver is actually what they're getting. Yeah, no, and going back to your initial question about how do you build the roadmap, um, I think that truly varies by organization. Mm -hmm. I think if you have nothing in place, right, you have the luxury of defining something from scratch and you can implement these steps in sequence, right? And that is wonderful. And so you kind of, you know, you, you, you implement your, your governance and you define what work is gonna be done. Then you go through your assessment process, then you go through your uh, execution process and, and then your, your measurement process, right? And you're refining and fine tuning as you go along. But most uh, organizations I find already have a lot of these pieces in place. Mm -hmm. So for those, I would actually recommend they, they, they do an assessment of their current capabilities and maturity, and then focus first on some visible quick wins that are gonna generate some excitement and adoption, and then tackle some of the bigger, hairier steps. Um, because I think, again, there's this negative connotation that PMO is red tape is, you know, things like that. And what you really want is you wanna change the dynamics to where people see the benefit that it brings to them and what they do on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah, absolutely, an, an enabler, right? So, so really right. some, so a, an, an agent for change in the organization. Correct. So in your opinion, how, has, how have you seen the traditional PMO evolve over the years as companies um, shift more towards an agile methodology? In my opinion, I think that the PMO still plays a critical role when it comes to governance and control, regardless of methodology. Um, you still need a way to define the, what you're gonna work on, how you're gonna fund these initiatives. More so in Agile, where the product owner has so much autonomy on the backlog and prioritization, it becomes harder to tie a hard ROI to some initiatives. So true Agile companies are not really funding projects, they're funding strategies or product roadmaps. Mm -hmm. And on the control side, we talked a little bit about that earlier. Um, you really need to, to measure that you're using your resources efficiently and effectively. So if, you know, if you're constantly having uh, stories carry over from one sprint to the next, or you're having quality issues where you're consistently having a high volume of stories being kicked back due to poor quality, you need to have the, the, you know, the, the metrics in place to be able to identify, you know, is this an estimation issue, a developer performance issue, a um, user story definition issue, so that you can um, build a culture where you are uh, improving your processes and improving the productivity of the team as you go along. So uh, I do think that the PMO plays a key role there. Um, one of the things that I, uh, find really interesting is that in the agile world, uh, you have uh, you you have roles that do very similar things as in the traditional waterfall world. They just have a different name. So, mm -hmm. for example, in 
uh, in SAFE, the release engineer or the release train engineer, uh, is responsible for coordinating that the train has everything they need in order to deliver smoothly, including managing the dependencies with uh, external teams like infrastructure or you know the DBA or managing deliverables, coordinating deliverables with other with other teams. Um, that is the same function that a program manager uh, plays in a traditional uh, uh, methodology, right? Yeah. So regardless of what you call it and whether it reports up to the PMO or the engineering teams, it is still a program manager skill set. Yeah, it's very, I think those, those skills are very transferable um, between the different roles, whether it's a traditional organ, you know, traditional waterfall organization and you're, you're managing, uh, like you said, at a, at a project level or, mm-hmm. or whether you're shifting more now towards a, a product um, program um, initiative, mm-hmm. but the skill set I find is very, very similar. You know, and I, um, I also find, you know, when I network with some of the companies in, in South Florida that are in different levels of their agile adoption or their you know, I, I jokingly call them fragile because they're <laughs> they're in their they're in the process, but they're either um, having uh, having a hard time transforming the IT organization to think differently, or they've already managed the transformation within IT, but the rest of the organization has not caught up yet. Right. I do find that the PMO plays a little bit of a buffer role between these agile teams and the rest of the organization, because the rest of the organization is still looking for hard deadlines, hard milestones. Um, very, you know, project level annual funding cycles and so forth. And I think the PMO kind of um, buffers that a little bit so that they can continue to work in an agile fashion, but still fit into this very traditional uh, waterfallish world, right? Um, so I think that uh, whether knowingly or not, the PMO is, is, is playing that role to enable the agile transformation. Yeah, I think that's a that's an excellent point, and I think that really gets to what um, the role of the PMO is in successful digital transformations. Because I think that what like I've seen some of those organizations as well, where the IT team is is transitioning um, to a, a more of an agile or safe uh, methodology, but the rest of the organization has has stayed. Uh, in a, in a you know, waterfall, more traditional state. And so there, it's, it's a difficult thing to manage when part of the organization has transitioned and the other one hasn't. So um, I think that's a great point and, and a way that really the PMO can be leveraged in, in making sure that those um, types of transformations are successful. Yeah, and uh, you know, and I, I also believe that Agile, like any other methodology, is not a one-size-fits-all. And I think the role of the PMO is really to help assess what methodology is the best methodology for each type of initiative. So when you have something where you're doing product development or product evolution, uh, Agile lends itself perfectly for those type of projects. But when you're doing, um, you know, uh, building out data centers or configuring systems to launch a new ship or a hotel or an office, those are maybe not the best fit for Agile. So I do think that uh, a strong PMO should be uh, open to figuring out what is the best methodology for the initiative at hand and not trying to be all one or the other. Yeah, and I, you know, my background is um, I deal a lot with RPA and automation. 
and it does not fit neatly in the agile box um although people would like it to it's just there's a lot of and, and i think that's true maybe with some other like you're saying other examples of of whether it's a physical product or another type of um development but mm-hmm. not everything fits neatly into that agile um or safe box because there's just there's certain things that need to be to be done before you can really get started on on development and so i think it's it's a healthy conversation to have where you can say you know let's combine the best of both worlds and take the the pieces that really do make sense and and help um in in a uh, development project but also take you know components from from maybe waterfall and more traditional development where it makes sense as well and so you come up with a something that really works for the organization and i think that's where the pmo can really come in and um and help with the organization and help create those those guardrails um, for the for the different development teams and not necessarily just have one one box that everybody's got to kind of operate in. I agree wholeheartedly. <laughs> so, Vicky, why do you think that so many organizations struggle with their digital transformation programs? Um, you know, there are so many articles and studies on this subject, but in my opinion, uh, I, it's usually a combination of four factors. Uh, you know, either poorly defined goals, taking on too much too quickly, uh, digital transformations that are led by IT instead of the business, and uh, poorly managed programs. Yeah, so can, let's talk about that a little bit more. So especially poorly managed programs, I think that's <laughs> interesting, um, given that we're talking about the PMO. So maybe you can elaborate a little bit more on that. Um, yeah, so I'm actually going to leave the poorly managed programs to last. Okay. Um, but, you know, the poorly defined goals um, I think, you know, one of the, the, the common mistakes is that companies take their existing processes and practices and they expose them in a digital platform without really rethinking or transforming anything. Um, or they launch a website or an app uh, because someone else is doing it, mm-hmm. but they don't really have a clear uh, understanding of the strategy or the offering. They don't know so why. To, yeah, they don't know why. They're, just, they're doing it because, you know, they have to do it too because their mm-hmm. competitor is doing it. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, if, if, you do, if you do these pieces without really having a transformation strategy, you're just adding more disjoint pieces to a puzzle that your customer now needs to navigate, right? And, and the, it, with digital, there is no buffer. You're going directly to your consumer. Mm-hmm. Like if, you're, if you have a service failure when your customer is interacting with an employee, like your call center or your sales rep or your front desk, right? The employee has you know, service recovery protocols, or they can engage a supervisor and they can correct a situation. When you have a service failure digitally, you'll never know about it, mm-hmm. right? And you'll never have an opportunity to write the situation. So, so doing a transformation without having clearly defined goals and without really having a clear transformation strategy could be more harm than good. So that's something you need to, you know, um, watch out for. And then the doing things too quickly, uh, a lot of, you know, once a company kind of gets sold on the digital transformation, they want it right away. Yes. And, and they don't realize that transformation really needs to be evolutionary to take root. You are transforming your culture, your organization, your processes, your technology. Even if you could get all the technical pieces done in, in whatever time frame, you know, it's being dictated, you're better off taking iterative steps uh, taking the time to learn from what is working and what isn't and giving the organization time to absorb and adjust. If you rush to get the technology pieces out, you're going to spend more time and money fixing it over time. Yeah, absolutely. So, so I think, you know, going too fast is definitely a cause. 
Um, and then the, you know, one of the most common reasons why companies struggle with digital transformation is because it's led by IT. <laughs> digital transformation is not an IT driven effort. It is a business transformation effort. Leveraging technology to transform how your organization shows up for your customers. Um, you know, especially in non-tech organizations, um, there's a big struggle with the business leadership becoming more digitally savvy. Mm -hmm. um, I read an article from the Harvard Business Review in 2019, they did a study and they said that about 70% of companies fail to achieve digital transformation and they cited that the lack of knowledge of digital, of digital was the primary reason. Uh, and they said it was something insane, like $900 billion that were spent on failed transformations. Yeah. Um, I, I, I mean, literally that's insane. Like it's yeah. just mind blowing that you go through all that effort and you spend all that money and you really don't get the benefit from it. I've been in some of those organizations. So I understand, um, you know, what, how it, it seems it seems to get started on the IT side and then you're trying to pull in the business, but the business always sees it as an IT led initiative. And um, it's a difficult thing to, when it, I think when it starts in IT, like, like a lot of projects do, I think it's difficult to make, try to get the business on board with it and, and really get them partnering and leading the effort, not just, right. not just being there, you know, on the, on the, there for the ride. You know, I mean, especially in today's society where technology is such an in integral part of everything we do, mm -hmm. you know, companies can no longer leave technology for IT to figure out, right? IT will always have, they will always own the bits and bytes and, you know, where you store it and how to secure it and so forth. But our business leaders really need to leverage technology as a strategic advantage. At the end of the day, that's what digital transformation is. Yeah, and I see that a lot, especially with RPA projects, because they are, um, the, the whole idea behind RPA is it uh, takes less development time to get solutions out to the business than traditional development does, usually, typically, anyway. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of those, uh, a lot of those automations can really be driven and done by the business, um, especially when they're the process owners, and they know their, their what they do day in and day out better than better than anyone. And so, you know, you're really helping to remove those inefficiencies in their process. And so um, a lot of a lot of RPA and automation, intelligent automation initiatives are, are truly driven by the business, because they're looking for ways to do things more efficiently. Actually, yeah, I, I really believe if the business leaders don't get it, don't bother doing it. Right. Uh, I mean, $900 billion, I keep going back to that number. Don't don't waste your money. It, it, again, it, it needs to be a business transformation more than anything. And then I, I do want to go back to the program oversight, right? I, I wouldn't be a good PMO evangelist if I didn't highlight the role that good program oversight has on effective transformation. So we, we, talked, um, we talked about the role of the PMO in this program, so I'm not gonna rehash all the details, but I do wanna restress the importance of having a roadmap, having a plan in place to manage the people, process and technology aspects. Um, and, and that, by the way, includes having a solid communication plan where you are, uh, you know, you tell people what you're doing, why you're doing it, how it's gonna affect them. You have a solid organizational change plan where you are, um, you know, you're highlighting what's actually transforming and how it will impact your operations and how it will impact roles and who needs to be trained on what. Um, and by the way, having the communication and the organizational change management plan 
are as important, if not more than having your technology implementation plan. Yeah. So, so the role of the PMO here is to make sure all those pieces are in place, that you have your tracking and reporting mechanisms, and, and also that you have a forum, a, a leadership team or a steering committee that can hold the team accountable for what they signed up to do and that can make the tough decisions as needed. So, so definitely without good program oversight and without having these controls in place, um, you, you can either go through all your funding and not achieve what you're trying to achieve or, um, or, or it can just take a lot longer and be a lot more painful. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I tell everyone as far as IT projects go, usually the technology is the easiest part of it. The technology is going to do what you want it to or, or what you design it to do. Mm -hmm. um, but at the end of the day, it's all about the communication and the change management and, and getting the people um, understanding why we're doing what we're doing and, and help them um, start to transform and use the new technology. The technology piece is really the, the easy part of the whole project. Yeah, you know, it's funny because when I say that, people think that I am minimizing the role of IT in transformation. And, and you know, and it's not, I mean, it's huge, right? Absolutely. It's not just when you're doing digital, it's not just about the apps or the websites. You're really reevaluating your entire technical landscape, you know, from how you store things to how you access things, where you store it, where you protect it, you know, how you protect it, and so forth. I mean, you're basically rethinking everything. So it is huge technology undertaking. But that is much more manageable than leading the organization and leading the, the culture shift in the organization to work differently because you're basically changing the way you operate. Yeah, absolutely. And especially when you're talking about these digital transformation programs where you really are touching on the entire organization. You're not just changing one piece of it and you're not just changing maybe one department. You're changing the entire organization and that's a massive undertaking. So it really needs to have the right level of, of governance and change management and communication um, so that everybody is on board um, because without it, those, those, those efforts really will fail. Yeah, and I mean, Gardner actually um, cited uh, that culture blindness is one of the biggest barriers to successful transformations. Yeah. And I think that that's where your communication and your organizational change management play a key role. And I've actually delivered projects, you know, throughout my career where, you know, we were able to deliver on all the technical, uh, we, we checked all the technical boxes and we met all the technical uh, milestones, uh, but the project was not successful because the organization wasn't prepared for it. Um, yeah. They didn't know what was coming. They didn't know how to use it. They didn't know how to leverage it. And so unfortunately, that's a lesson I've learned over time by doing it the wrong way. And I understand the value of doing it the right way. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So for organizations that are starting to, you know, looking at their transformation journey, where would you recommend that they really get started? I would say first figure out your why and your what, then worry about the how. You know, why do you want to transform? What do you want to transform? Mm -hmm. uh, make sure that it is a business transformation that is led and championed by the business, like we said, not by IT. Right. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, what is the business strategy you're trying to enable? And then technology will be your enabler, right? Um, and then when thinking about your journey, I would say take an outward in view of your business it is really about how your customer wants to engage with you via the digital channels, not so much how you wanna engage with them. And your goal should always be to provide a cohesive experience regardless of channel.
right? Your customer should communicate with you whatever channel they prefer. They prefer the the transaction should be the same. The interaction should be the same. So I think that that's that's a hard component. But that is always if you look at it from the customer in versus from you out, um, that's always key. And then once you have your organizational transformation goals defined, then you can roll up your sleeves and start looking for enablers and building your roadmap and your plans. You know and and again, there's a lot of skill set out there of, on how to do this, but it really starts with having your why and your what clearly defined. Well, and I think the, the, the reason why we do anything in an organization is because of the customer. So I think that's a great, great point where, you know, starting with the customer and looking at having a, a, a customer lens um, should really be bringing that in and, and helping to define why and what the organization is doing to, to move forward. You know, uh, you know, one last piece I would add um, that needs to be acknowledged early on is funding. Um, funding a digital transformation is not a once and done deal. <laughs> the initial enablement upfront, of course, you're going to have upfront investment for that. However, you're basically operationalizing your business through digital channels. So you need to, you will have to, you know, continue to invest to keep this uh, platform effective as your company and your offerings evolve. Um, so that uh, you need to look at it as if your uh, digital platform now is a key part of you doing business and you kind of need to be willing to make that commitment up front because it's not like you're going to, you know, approve this amount of, you know, capital spend and when you're done, then that's it. Right. It's basically you're evolved, you're transforming the way that you work and your digital platform is going to be as, you know, as key to you as if you you know, invested in your manufacturing plant or whatever it is that you do. It's just a key part of you doing business. Yeah, I think that's that's an excellent um, way to, to really end this conversation because I think that, you know, the, the mindset shift from going from a project to a program, I think is really important and really critical and, and thinking about these types of transformations where it doesn't have a, a definite endpoint. It's a continuing evolution and, and companies need to continue to fund that and continue to be able to evolve and, and transform um, because it's not that traditional project where, like you said, it's a capital investment and, and we do that and then we start depreciating it. Um, you know, it, it really is a program that's going to continue to evolve and, and take many, many years to continue to grow. Agreed. Vicki, thanks for having this conversation today. I appreciate it. And um, I know our listeners are going to get a, a lot out of it. So thank you for sharing all of your insights. Thank you for having me again. We really hope you've enjoyed this episode. Please take a moment to rate, subscribe, and leave a review on your preferred podcast listening platform. We really appreciate that effort. Until next time.